0: Good evening. It's a privilege to open up God's Word with you this this evening. Uh, My name is Tim Little. I teach at Faith Baptist Theological Seminary down in Ankeny, Iowa. I also manage the campus bookstore. Uh, It's uh, been about 10 years, uh, almost 10 years ago, that I began my study of the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, and uh, through the fruition of that study, my wife and I are actually co-authoring a book that we're working on right now, and I want to share some of the information that I have learned with you this week. I'm grateful for this opportunity. First, I do just want to introduce to you my family, uh, my wife, Angela. She sits over here, and as we go through the material this week, too, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. And then we have uh, our family. We have five children uh, Josiah is the oldest. He's going into ninth grade, and Zach is uh, second. He's going into seventh grade. Uh, both of them are with us this evening, and so if I have a few parents that were like, what's going to be going on tonight? You know, my children are in this room as well, and so just to kind of put you at ease a little bit there. So uh, The Song of Songs is a book that Um, I began studying almost a decade ago, and within the Song of Songs, as I began studying it, I was like, huh, there's actually a lot of information here for singles, for believing singles that want to honor God with their relationships and are wondering, hey, what is up with this thing? What does God have to say about love, marriage, and intimacy? And so as I began my study and continued to study the Song of Songs, uh, it was actually for a PhD-level class I was taking at Clark Summit University. Uh, I was working on my PhD, and my professor, I learned, had actually written his dissertation on the Song of Songs. And as the Old Testament professor at Faith, I had frequently been asked, questions related to the Song of Songs. And I was like, huh, man, this is my chance. You can't pass this up. I've got a professor that knows the song. And so I had to write a research paper for that class. And so he gave me a few topics. I picked one and thus began my study of the Song of Songs. And those beginning years, as I was studying the song and as I was teaching Hebrew, I do teach Hebrew and Hebrew exegesis classes down at Faith. Uh, and as I was teaching Hebrew, I was sharing with my students some of the things that I was learning, and they were fascinated by it. I was like, wow, I didn't know this was in the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, neither did I. It's because everybody's told us not to study it. <laughs> and so uh, it was just really revelational. And as I began to read and study the song, I began to see sin. I began to see problems. I began to see, oh, you know what? My relationship with my wife is not this way. Why is that? Well, it's because of me. It's because of the sin in my heart. And the sin that I began not five years ago or ten years ago. It wasn't something that began on my wedding day. It wasn't something that began when I started dating. It, wasn't some, it was not something that began when I was single. And so I became even more burdened. Like, hey, what does God actually have to say here to singles about the Song of Songs? Now, you might be sitting out there and you're like, what, really? You were going to talk about Song of Songs for singles? You realize the audience that you're getting here is mostly people that are married I'm like, that's exactly right, because who are you teaching? You might be like, oh man, I'm just, you know, I, I'm retired, I'm done having, you know, this This is really not relevant to me, you know, I'm 80 years old, so on and so forth. You know, you still have a voice in your children's lives, in your grandchildren's lives, in your great-grandchildren's lives, and I would encourage you to follow through with this this study as we work through the Song of Songs, and I pray that God's Word You would learn from God's word in ways that you haven't thought of before. Now, is uh, or that you didn't even know that he even taught about. Now, as we go through this, what we're going to do is I actually am going to be flipping back and forth between uh, the Word of God, okay, the Song of Solomon, and I'll be able to mark things up on the screen using the iPad, and that's why what I've done is I've taken a photocopy of the scripture journals that are in the lobby in the entryway. Now, I couldn't really explain that at dinner, but that's kind of the idea. And so if you do want to pick up like a scripture journal, you could walk back there and grab one. I don't care about the money. If you want to throw the money, in. Don't, don't worry about it. Just grab it. I want you to get uh, out of this study what God wants you to get out of this study. And if this would help you to do that, then you uh, help avail yourself of that opportunity. Okay, so um, here we go. Uh, unmarried Christians in the Song of Songs. Why should singles study the Song of Songs? I'm going to provide three uh, reasons for why singles should study the Song of Songs. But before we get into it, we're just going to kind of talk about some preliminaries. Some of these uh, preliminaries concern how we should even read the Song of Songs. For example, the Song of Songs should be interpreted literally. It should be interpreted literally. A lot of people are really concerned about the overt, uh, intimate content of the Song of Songs, and uh, as a result, they tend to allegorize it. They say, oh, this is a relationship between Jesus and the church. But actually, the Song of Songs is teaching relationship wisdom and we need to understand it the way that it was intended. And so the Song of Songs uh, should be interpreted literally. Now, it's kind of interesting as we think through the song, ancient words. Have you thought about that? Ancient words, ever true, changing me, changing you. Hey, you ever think, what, what's part of that? Ancient words? Hmm. Yeah. And we need to understand it literally. Okay, we're going to come back to that point. But let that just ruminate, resonate in your mind a little bit. Okay, so first, it should be understood, interpreted literally. Second, the song is not a drama. A lot of people read the Song of Songs like a story, like it was some narratival text. It isn't. The Song of Songs is a, it's kind of elementary, right, song. (laughs) It says it right in the title. He says it's a song. That's its genre as a song. And so when you're reading through the song, don't think, oh, this is Solomon. Oh, this is his wife. It's like, oh, I mean, didn't that guy like marry a whole bunch of girls? Now I wonder which one it is. Hmm. Oh, yeah, it says it's Shulamite. Oh, it's that one. Which one is that? You know, it never says anything about her. Okay. It's not a love story between Solomon and his first wife or a wife or whatever. Okay. Solomon's not even the hero of the song. He was the guy that had it all he was the guy that had any woman he wanted and as the guy who could have any woman he wanted he teaches young man young men you don't want what i got and we'll talk about that song of songs is a song it's not a drama and as a song it teaches uh, the characters who are they the characters are these ideal archetypal characters. They're like, oh, this isn't a real person. This is uh, an ideal individual. It's a composite character, like the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, so that's a a place of connection for a lot of people. When you've studied, hopefully a few of you may have studied the Proverbs 31 woman, that's not one woman. Ruth is the Proverbs 31 woman. It states that explicitly in Ruth chapter 3, from the mouth of Boaz. But guess what Ruth is not doing? She's not managing estates. She doesn't have great lots of property that she's managing. She doesn't have this vineyard. All of these things that the Proverbs 31 woman is doing. Why is that? Even though she's the Proverbs 31 woman? Because the Proverbs 31 woman isn't a real woman. She's a composite character it would look like this or it could look like that. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman, she's rising early in the morning and she's staying up late at night. She's working in the vineyard with her hands. She's got this textiles industry as well that she's personally investing with. I mean, this woman is like superwoman. She can't do all that stuff. It's impossible. You see, it's not a real person. It's an ideal archetypal character. That's what we have in the Song of Songs. You have ideal archetypal characters uh, that are teaching us wisdom concerning love, marriage, intimacy, and relationships. So as we work through this song, those are just a few preliminaries. And I'll give you some more as we go through. But I only have so much time tonight. Very grateful for these guys. They actually gave me a good amount of time. Thank you for that. Now, let's think here. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. Should we read some ancient words? Let's do that. Let's go to the Bible. Song of Songs. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins, love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. That's our text for the evening. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we were able to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for these ancient words. And I pray, Lord, that you would... Use your word in our lives tonight. Help us to see sin, repent of it, and confess it. Help us to shape our affections, to desire the things that you desire. I pray that as the world speaks about this topic in abundance, that we would hush all of those noises and listen to what you have to say. And Lord, as I'm certain, there are some who have maybe even some unhelpful memories associated with this topic, I pray that they would be able to hush some of that and look to see what you have to say about this topic. Use your word in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So three reasons why singles should study the song. Here we go. The first reason that, the sing, that singles should study the song is because the Song of Songs is part of the Bible. <laughs> you know, isn't that kind of interesting? It's like, hey, you know what? You should study the Bible. You should study the Song of Songs. Singles should study it because it's part of the Bible. In 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17... The Apostle Paul wrote, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, some people have even said, Well, should, you know, some people, they have the, the gift of singleness and they're pouring their life out in, to the Lord. And is this really relevant? And I'm like, yes, because who are they ministering to? Okay, they need to know what God's word has to say about this topic. Everybody needs to know. We need to teach them. And you know, there's this one section of the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, the writings, that includes this one little book called the Song of Songs. That is part of all scripture. And so we should study it. And unmarried Christians should study the Song of Songs. Number two, Song of Songs is Solomon's best song. You know, we forget the brilliance of Solomon. You know, we look at him with his polygamous life and just like, oh, that guy was horrendous. And he was horrendous, okay? But he was amazingly wise. He wrote, th- spoke 3,000 proverbs, and he, he had 1,005 songs. I mean, look at all those little musical notes there, all right? I got 100 of them. Like, I'm not sticking a thousand of them things up there. I mean, what a brilliant guy. But you know, when it says the song of songs, what does that mean? You guys familiar with the phrase like the king of kings and the lord of lords? What does it mean that Jesus is the king of kings? Of all of the kings, Jesus is the king. Of all of the Lord's, he is the Lord. Of all of Solomon's songs, this one is the best. This is the best song. This is his best one. And that's what we're going to study. And I think singles should study it. Because it's his best song. I know that might be like, oh, that's not really the best reason. Okay, well, this next one, all right, is the one that takes the cake. And some of you might be looking at me and you're still like, I don't know, sure about this guy. We're going to get into the word. And that's why I stuck the word up on the screen, because I want you to see it for yourself in the word. Okay? Solomon wrote the Song of Songs, two singles. Like, whoa. Okay, now you are crazy. Okay, well, what do we see in the Song of Songs? And I know I'm just going to info dump on you for just a moment, but there are these ladies that show up in the Song of Songs. They show up seven times. They're called the Daughters of Jerusalem. Who are these ladies? And there's a lot of discussion. Oh, are they as part of his harem or blah, blah, blah. You know who the Daughters of Jerusalem are? They're single girls that want to get married. You see that in Song of Songs chapter 3. They are, in fact, the primary audience of the Song of Songs. And furthermore, throughout the Song of Songs, these exhortations to the daughters of Jerusalem, the female lover of the Song of Songs, she writes to them and she says, I adjure you. Does that sound important? It sounds kind of important. It's like she's teaching them, hey, guess what? This, pay attention. But then what do we end up doing You, you shouldn't read this, okay? You know? No. Actually, I think it's very biblical that an older woman in the church should be leading ladies, young ladies, through the Song of Songs and teaching them what God has to say about issues associated with love, marriage, and intimacy. And that conversation can change as you go through the various stages of life. I was sitting on the couch with my daughter and we were watching a movie, I don't remember which one it was. It was some Disney cartoon thing that was, you know, not bad. But I could see right in this movie what the the movie was doing. It was teaching my child to love something. And it was teaching my child to love something that was unbiblical and wrong. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, stink! How soon is too soon?! How soon should I, when should I start teaching them? Well, if the world's already teaching them when she's four years old and indoctrinating her, I think it's time for me to start. And so I put together a four-piece series. I teach the children's ministries at our church. I am in charge of our Kids for Truth group. So that's four years old to sixth grade. And it, it was not anything, you know, crazy, but it talks about friends, and it talked about kissing, and I talked about relationships. I'm like, if they're teaching my daughter when she's four, then I'm going to start. It's important. We need to teach our young people about this issue so then they can be successful at the game of life. So the Song of Songs is actually primarily written to single women. Proverbs is primarily instruction to young men. Throughout Proverbs 1 through 9, you have the sage, you have the father, and he says, my son, my son, my son. Repeatedly, the primary audience of Proverbs is young men. The primary audience of Song of Songs is young women. In Proverbs, the sage, the father, teaches the son. In the Song of Songs, the experienced wife teaches the other ladies, The word mother appears seven times in the Song of Songs. Father never appears. The primary audience is the daughters of Jerusalem. Song of Songs was written to singles. And for the rest of our time tonight, I want to look at that message. So let's go and open up our Bibles and let's look at this song that that God has given us. Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Do you know what that kiss is? It's a kiss, okay? That's what it is. There's no rocket science here. There's nothing codish about it. Now, within the Song of Songs, it's intended to make you think. In fact... Proverbs 1, 5, I think it's 5, 6, right in that area, okay? It talks about how the sages spoke in riddles. They made the young people think. People have coined the phrase that the song of songs is the riddle of riddles, and it's going to make you think, and I want to make you think as we look at this text. The kiss here, however, is simply a kiss, And furthermore, we are going to have to work through some things because there are some differences in your English Bibles, and that's why I hope that you can just write all over something. For example, we have the word love here, and the word love here is actually a plural. It's technically, for your loves are better than wine. Now, when we think of love, often we think of, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 and the love chapter, which is all great. Okay, I love 1 Corinthians 13. We'll have some more correspondences to like 1 Corinthians 13, and I think Wednesday. Okay, but you understand there's different kinds of love, all right? And this is a little different than that one, okay? I mean, there's definitely correlations, but this love here in this first verse, your loves are better than wine. Does that sound like, I love my daughter? Or is that like, I loves my wife? Okay, it's more of the loves your wife version. All right. Now the regular love version uh, word, we do see that. We do. We see it right down here. Okay. Therefore, virgins love you. Is that weird? Why virgins? Wait a minute. I thought this book was just written to married people. Why are why are virgins showing up right there? You know, this word for virgins, you're actually pretty familiar with it. It appears in Isaiah seven. 14, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. This is an inexperienced young lady, and they love someone. Hmm, that's interesting. But the nature of their love is different than this one. It's a different kind of love. Now, as we work through the Song of Songs, we're going to have to deal with some figures of speech, with some metaphors. In this first verse, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Well, why? We have the reason why. Because your loves are better than wine. Wine has an intoxicating effect. And this wife, she finds the caresses, the loves of her husband intoxicating. That's actually the way it's supposed to be, and we'll talk about that some more as the week goes on. But especially as I have singles with me tonight, I have some of them. Any, uh, I have you know, seventh through twelfth grader, seventh through twelfth grade tonight. Uh, this is the design, the design that God created. That intimacy would be something that would be enjoyable for a husband and a wife. And here, this wife is married. And she reflects upon the love that she has for her husband and has experienced with him. And she says, I enjoy that. Let him kiss me. Now, this next verse provides an additional reason why she says that. Look at this verse uh, 3. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Oh, that's great. You know, you need to smell good, right? It's good to smell good, okay? Check, got that. (laughs) Don't stink. (laughs) But look at this next line. Your name is oil poured out. Now in Hebrew, we have this thing called parallelism, where there's these different, um, there's these corresponding components. Look at this. Your anointing oils, all right, are fragrant. It's, wait a minute. (gasps) It's your name. And when you have a cologne on, that's a a beautiful smell, all right? It smells good. You smell good. All right, great. I'm glad you smell good, okay? But then when you take, like, that cologne, you just kind of break it open, you just pour it out, what happens? It just fills up the room. Does that sound familiar? Like, somebody did that with Jesus, you know? They broke it off, and they poured it out, and it just filled the room. It's this beautiful smell, Now, what is it that's really intoxicating for this woman? His smell? What is it? His name. What is that? The name is one's reputation. It's like, hey, who are you really? You know, when you're married to somebody, guess what? You get to know them like you really know them. You get to learn who they really are. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, let's talk about this a little bit more. In the Hebrew Bible, the order of their canon is actually a different order. This is the order of the Hebrew Bible. They have the law, the prophets, and in the writings. And notice the location of the Song of Songs. It actually follows the book of Ruth. And if I had more time, I'd love to walk you through. And by the way, this would be a great Bible study for... An older woman to talk to a younger woman about. Because what do you have at the end of the book of Ruth? A guy. And guess what he has? A good name. His name is Boaz. But within the Song of Songs, you don't just have a name, or I'm sorry, within the book of Ruth, you don't just have a guy with a good name, you also have a guy with a bad name. Look here in Ruth 4.1. Behold, Behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. Hey, wait a minute. What's that guy's name? Some of you may have heard a little bit of this last year if you were here. It was a year ago. You don't remember. That's good. Let's go for it again. Friend. This guy's name is friend. Well, what does that mean? What is that? Oh, friend. Hey, friend. That's kind of like a good term. I call people friend. You know what they are? They're friends. It's a good thing. This guy's name in Hebrew is Polony Almoni. Polony Almoni. It's got a little jingle to it. Doesn't it sound kind of cool? Polony Almoni. It's because it's not a real name. It's like Mr. So-and-so. In fact, some translations translate this guy's name as John Doe. He's literally the, the John Doe. He's the nameless one. Well, why can't we know what that guy's name is? Because the author of Ruth is teaching us something. He's teaching us something about a good name. And this guy has a bad name. Boaz, on the other hand, he has a good name. He is the redeemer. And in the city, people, their blessing of him, he says, a redeemer, may his name be renowned in Israel. May his name be named in Israel. May people know this guy's name. Why? Because he's a good guy. And we really uh, misunderstand the story of Ruth understanding what Boaz had to give up to marry Ruth. It cost him a fortune. (laughs) that's why the other guy, you know, he was like wanting nothing to do with it. It will jeopardize my inheritance. But doesn't there something in God's law that says that you, you need to marry that girl? I know that's weird for us, but at least in their culture, that's what they had to do, okay? Yes, he was required by Deuteronomic law to marry her. And we kind of give him a pass because we're kind of like, well, I wouldn't want to do that either. The author of Ruth doesn't. He, the author of Ruth's leaves him unnamed. He's Mr. John Doe. Boaz is the guy with a name. And the book of Ruth concludes with a series of names that culminate with Jesse fathering David. What do we have in the Song of Songs? We have a person that, that is desirable. It's the kind of an individual that a, pers- that a young lady should desire. Therefore, the virgins love you. Why do the virgins love this guy? Because he's the type of a guy that they should want to desire. You know, that statement at the end of verse 3 is kind of weird if Solomon's the hero. You know, it's like, oh, why, why are all these virgins liking my guy? You know, that's a little bit odd. But if this is a song and this is not a real person, it's a kind of a person, this is the kind of a guy that a young lady should want to marry. Now, as we read through these verses, we might be like, oh, this is still a little bit weird to me. I want you to just contemplate and think through how the world is indoctrinating our children. Have you ever seen the propositional truth statements that the world throws at our kids? You know, you should enjoy intimacy all the time as long as you can and blah, 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 blah. Do you see those propositional statements that they do all the time? Instead, what do they do? They paint this picture of something that they want. And then, as the young person sees that thing, what, do they, what starts to happen? The desire grows for it. But is that a good thing? No, it isn't. And then what do we end up doing? We go to the Bible and we say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Okay, you, you, getting, you getting this? And then what does the Song of Songs do, though? You have the thou shalt nots. I'm not denying the thou shalt nots. But what does the song do? The song shapes desires. It paints a picture of something that our young people should desire. And young ladies, this is the kind of guy that you want to marry. Why? Why? Because if you marry a good guy, then this gift that God created called intimacy, okay, it'll look a little bit more like this, or at least has a lot higher probability, okay? Whereas if you marry a guy that doesn't have a name, then guess what? Well, it's kind of like, you know, that fragrant oil, that really good cologne, But it doesn't smell good. It smells bad. It's like being intimately close with somebody that stinks really bad. Who do you want to marry? Who do you want to desire? A good guy. That's what you want. The song continues here in verse 4, draw me after you, let us run, the king has brought me into his chambers. And then these others start speaking, okay, I want to give you a little tip, there's no others, all right, you just take that and just kind of scratch it out, okay, that doesn't really exist, okay? The person that keeps talking is the person that was talking, it's the woman. The construction in Hebrew that you get right here, draw me after you, let us run, the king has brought me into his chambers. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol we will extol your love more than wine. All of those constructions in Hebrew are the exact same kind of construction. What you have here at the end is the woman exalting in the union of her and her husband. This is the design, the order of creation, the way that God created it. Now as I talked to you about these words for love, and as this is a little bit of a Bible study and a little bit of a sermon, okay, the word for love right down here is also that plural. This is speaking, oops, this is speaking of those caresses, and this is that intimate terminology. But notice that we get the other word for love, okay, in the line right below it. And that's in reference to the virgins, This line, oops, wrong thing. This line corresponds to this one. It's shaping the affections of the young lady and saying, this is what you should want. Okay, so there you go. That was some instruction for young ladies, what they should want. What about the guys? Well, the primary audience is the young ladies, but there is a message here for guys. First of all, (laughs) have a good name, right? Okay? Uh, Be honest. Okay? Ladies, if you're dating somebody and he lies to you, dump him. All right? Honestly is the way. You have to be able to trust. I could go to book after book after book after book. You need to be able to trust him. Uh, And there's a list of other things. You can consult your godly mentors as you formulate that list. And then guys, guess what? You need to be godly. You need to be spiritual leaders in your home, and you need to take that seriously. Now, you're like, oh, does I really need that? Well, if you want this kind of a girl, you do. Like, Oh, whatever. You're just making stuff up. I'm like, well, let's see what the song has to say about it, shall we? Now, I need you to go all the way to the end of the Song of Songs, all right? Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. Now, we're going to develop verse 11 a little bit more tomorrow and the next day, okay? But in verse 11, it states, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He led out to the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand. And the keepers of the fruit, Two hundred. O oh, you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my lover, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Now I want to jump in first here at verse 13. Here the man does speak. Okay, they got it right this time. The man is the one that's speaking. And what is he wanting? Let me hear it. He wants to hear her voice. But who else wants to hear it? They're listening. Who are these companions that are listening for her voice? Okay, I know I'm making you jump around. Then you should go back to chapter one. Okay? Back to chapter one. In verses six and seven, I'm just gonna jump into verse seven. We're gonna talk about verses five through eleven tomorrow. Okay, but here in verse seven, we have this little uh speech flirtation that's going on between the two lovers. And the the woman is doing the speaking here, and she says, Tell me, O you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your <gasps> companions who are these guys these are the single men that's who they are and what are they wanting they want to marry the female lover of the song of songs and they should but you know what You know, I work at a Bible college, and we talk to a lot of singles, and they often don't. (laughs) They don't realize that they don't, but there's something inside them that's driving them towards something else. There's actually something inside of them that's driving them toward something like what's up here. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. What is this vineyard? That vineyard would be his harem. Now, I'll explain that some more tomorrow. I'm not going to go through that today, but this would be the harem. The word Baal Hamon is not actually a location. It's a wordplay. The word literally means the master of many or the husband of many. And guess what Solomon had? A lot of wives. He had a thousand, seven hundred wives and 300 concubines. He was... The master of many. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Now, this is something that we're going to talk about on Wednesday as far as what this phrase means. Okay, so we'll save that one. Um, but the, the keepers are the maintainers of the vineyard, and the song teaches that a husband is supposed to take care of his wife. He should be the keeper. Solomon didn't do that, he couldn't. He had a thousand, all right? And then this last phrase speaks about the expensed of those women. And you're kind of like, uh, okay, well, you know, when you're the king, you don't exactly marry, you know, a shepherdess, okay? You don't exactly marry uh, the vineyard keeper girl because you're the king. So who do you marry? The beautiful woman, the knockout. And guess what? Solomon married a bunch of them a thousand. He had a whole pile of them. And here he writes, and he seeks to shape the affections, the desires of the young men. And you know what he's saying? I missed her. Of all of the wives that he had, of all of the intimacy that he experienced, he missed the one that he was really after. Look at verse 12. There's a vineyard that he doesn't get. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. This is a very emphatic construction. There's three possessive pronouns here. It's mine. That means it's not whose. Solomon's. He didn't get the one that he really wanted. You see, the ancient kings, they knew what intimacy really was. They understood, you know, the intimacy according to the order of creation. And we see a snapshot of that actually in the book of Esther. After all, Esther was taken and she was given to Ahasuerus, a king. And it explains to us in Esther chapter two, what kind of intimacy a king in the ancient world would have desired. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into the king, to King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the woman, since this was the regular period of the beautifying, sounds expensive, it is, cost Solomon a thousand silvers. The beautifying six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for woman. This is the ideal intimate experience that our world still throws in front of our young men today. And this desire will keep you from finding and marrying the Song of Songs female lover. This woman was not only beautiful, she was highly motivated. In verse 14, the author of Esther explains to us, in the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into to the king again unless the king delighted in her and was summoned by name. So she is going to make sure that she makes an impression. This is still the form of intimacy that is celebrated and exalted in our culture today. And what does Solomon teach us in the Song of Songs? It's not it. That's not love. That is not the order of creation. You'd think after a thousand women, he would have finally gotten a good one, but he was looking for the wrong thing. He teaches young men this truth in Song of Songs, chapter 8 and verse 12. You need to desire the right things. And a soft, supple, beautiful woman is not what you should desire. Instead, the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, teaches you to desire a woman who fears the Lord. That is the type of a woman that you need to desire. The woman of the Song of Songs rejects Solomon. She says, My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. Then the man speaks in verse 13, O you who dwell in the gardens, because he wants her. He doesn't want this. He wants her with companions listening to your voice, let me hear it. Do you sense that urgency? You will need to want this. Want it. More than this. You don't want to be a Solomon. You want to be the male lover of the Song of Songs. And that doesn't begin on the day of your wedding. That doesn't begin... You know, after a few months or after a year. When does that begin? <laughs> it begins now. Cultivate godly virtues today. Have, be that, that man of virtue, that godly man that will then cultivate the desire of a woman like the Song of Songs female lover. You see, the Song of Songs wants you to want the right thing. I pray as we go through this week, we are better equipped to teach our children to want the right thing. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time that we are able to look at the Song of Songs and to see this message that you have put into into your word. Lord, I pray that as we go through this book, that we would be equipped to love our spouses better And to train our children to desire the right things. Give us wisdom, Lord. This is really hard. And our culture is battling against us immensely. May we reject the noises that are reverberating in our ears. May we be still and listen to what you have to say on this issue. In Jesus' name, amen.